On this episode of Revealing Strength, we sit down with Tim White, sports psychology coach and owner of White House Athletics. Eric and I chatted with Tim a little bit about the role of mental toughness, grit, and resiliency, and what do those things actually mean when it comes to our athletes and ourselves, when it comes to training, what strategies can coaches use to help their athletes develop grit and resiliency. And then we chatted a little bit about injury and return to play and the role that the mindset has in return to play. So we think you'll really like this episode. Tim has a wealth of knowledge and enjoy. Today's episode of Revealing Strength Podcast is brought to you by BoxBalm, how bad hands get good. Head on over to BoxBalm.com slash shop and check out what your hands have been asking for. All right, guys. So welcome to the next installment of Revealing Strength Podcast. We're here today with Tim White, who is a phenomenal guest we're really excited to have on. And Julie's going to give us a little bit of an intro. All right. So Tim is a sports psychology coach, and he's also a business owner. Um, a company called White House Athletics, which he's definitely going to talk about today. And he's currently an instructor at University of Missouri in their positive coaching master's degree. And before I I let Tim take over with a little bit about himself, um, Tim and I go way back. He was my athletic trainer my last year of competing in track and field at the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. And so we have some similar Midwestern roots, but Tim has taken things um, above and beyond. He's been at several D1 institutions. He's worked for the NFL, for the ECHL. Um, and again, like I said, has his own company and he's going to talk us, talk to us today about some really interesting concepts and topics related to mental toughness, specifically grit. And then we're going to round it out with the psychology of injuries and trying to bridge a connection between those two kind of those two worlds. So Tim, can you uh, share a little bit about who you are and what's been fun in your professional life so far? All right. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Um, Like Julie said, we go back to the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, where I studied athletic training and strength and conditioning. And after that, I did a couple internship-type positions, and and like you said, the NFL, and uh, then went on to grad school, where I studied sports psychology at the University of Utah. So I found myself kind of bouncing around to different areas of study, uh, but also different parts of the country, which I really enjoyed. Um, so what I started to do is I was making these connections between the different fields, you know, athletic training to strength and conditioning, and then you bring in sports psychology and you, you started to see the overlap that would occur in these different fields. Uh, and that just really stuck with me as I continued to study and continued to move around in my career. My career has taken me kind of all over the country. I've, I've crisscrossed the map a little bit, uh, like you said, a couple different uh, Division One institutions. Most recently, I was at the University of Michigan for several years, and before that, I was working in and out of some, uh, you know, working in and out of a couple positions uh, in the NFL. I was with the New York Jets for a year, uh, as well as uh, some work in minor league hockey. So, uh, I've definitely had a, a lot of unique opportunities in mm-hmm. my career, and I've really enjoyed it. And and really, it's put me in the position I'm in today to start a business and, and really try and grow something special. Cool. Tell us a little bit about your business, White House Athletics. So I started White House Athletics uh, three years ago, and the primary interest was in uh, consulting with athletes on the mental side of sport. How can we help you go mm-hmm. from that nervous, jittery, sweaty palms, mm-hmm. 
you know, frustrated athletes who, who just couldn't get over the hurdle or, go, you know, struggled to break out of a slump uh, and, and transition yourself into that athlete that's cool and calm and collected and, and able to perform their best when it matters most. You know, it's fairly common to, mm-hmm. you know, you watch the World Series every year, you watch the Super Bowl, you, you see all these competitive events and you see people who who really shine in the limelight and and maximize their opportunities and perform their best under the most extreme pressures mm-hmm. and you have people that completely break down mm-hmm. so for me as a kid i was always fascinated by the ability of a, of a you know let's, let's take college football i'd be watching college football on saturday and you'd have that team that's down 20 points at halftime Mm-hmm. And they come back and win. Right. Yeah. And for me, it's like, how on earth do you come back and win? There's a, statistically, there, there's no reason you should. Right. right. And this last year's Super what Bowl happened? was a good example of that. So yeah. I know I'm drifting a little bit here, but no, it's okay. anyway, um, you know, that, that just really kind of sparked the interest for me. And, and, and ultimately, I got to a point in my career where I said, you know what, I want to do this full time. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing athletic training for several years. I really enjoy it. I love the profession. I'll never fully let it go. Um, but I wanted to get involved in this sports psychology business. And, and for me, the way to do that was to start my own business and start consulting with athletes and, and really building something new. Cool. I think that's a natural fit. Like I said, I know Tim from back in the day, um, when he was a student athletic trainer, but he was the most beloved athletic trainer (laughs) on our women's track team. Um, but part of it, why, why Tim always stood out to me. And I think while we remain friends over the years too, is, um, he's always been very dedicated. And like he just said to that profession and as, as any athletic trainer needs to, you have to, you have to care about your athletes and you have to care about their well being. And that's something I remember from all the way back in 2004 mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember and my teammates have said that and even teammates will still talk about you because like I'll say oh hey I'm Jeez. getting together Tim <laughs> um is that that how much you were you genuinely cared for us beyond the physical realm mm-hmm. of our performance or beyond the physical realm of our injuries or the rehab that we were doing um and I think that always stood out to me and I think that's why it's such a natural fit for you to to go into this direction to look into something that's beyond the physical realm mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and I was just kind of digging around on your website whitehouseathletics.com and you have a quote that's up on that's on there and to me that's kind of like your mantra or that's how I see it as your mantra and, mm-hmm. and you say sports are physical but the mind controls the body um, can you talk about that a little bit so now as, as you shift and you really see your career moving forward um, into the mental game supporting the physical game yeah absolutely I, uh, I I got that from one of my mentors in grad school and you know, there's always these debates out there of people talking about, you know, oh, you know, football is 90% mental. You just have <laughs> to be tough or, you know, if you want it bad enough, you'll go out and do it. And, you know, it, uh, so much of that is obvious cliche and, yeah. you know. It's super so. cliche because everybody, I think it's a hot topic right now or like the sports that Eric and I work with a lot. So like high school athletics with mm-hmm. Eric right now and CrossFit and weightlifting and strength training. Um, everybody, I think it's cool to talk about the mental game, but I don't think people really know what they're actually talking about Mm -hmm. other than this general generic concept of being mentally tough. Um, and I don't think many people actually enlist actual professionals like yourself who are, who are trained in, in strategies, um, for athletes or cause you educate coaches too, Mm -hmm. um, in your, Mm -hmm. your current position at university of Missouri. So, um, 
so with so you teach a couple classes and I you told me about those classes a little bit ago and how this idea of of mental strength and that connects to our podcast one of those classes is called resiliency grit and mental toughness can you explain what those words mean because they all kind of sound the same Mm -hmm. and we were saying before it just sounds like just like get up slap some dirt in it and keep going is it actually that or what is it well that gets back into the same cliches that yeah you know so many people talk about mental toughness there's actually been some research published that kind of questions that term of like what the heck does that even mean yeah and you survey 30 different athletes and you're probably going to get 30 different answers Mm -hmm. and same with coaches absolutely you survey (laughs) 25 30 depending on the sport too well yeah Yeah. absolutely and so uh, there is definitely this sense of what the heck does mental toughness even mean and so fortunately for us the terms grit and resilience have a little bit more uh, credibility to them and an and actual definition that can mm-hmm. be identified. Uh, specific to grit, Angela Duckworth is a researcher who has really kind of brought that to the forefront mm-hmm. and, and basically identified what exactly does grit constitute. And she did a lot of work, not only in sport, but uh, academics and the military. And one, mm-hmm. of the, one of her findings that's been really interesting is the people who make it through basic training the ones that are most successful in that setting have the highest levels of grit. Mm-hmm. So th- that absolutely illustrates this idea of the mind is definitely involved yeah. in what you're doing in your physical performances. And so th- to give you a definition of grit, grit is a combination of um, passion and perseverance. Mm. You, you, you put Ooh. those two together. It's a good. I like that. And, you That's know, a and great passion definition. is a hot term. Got alliteration too. Yeah, yeah. passion is thrown out and there too all the time. Everyone likes to, th- you know, you got to find your passion, and, and you do. <laughs> but every, but like you said, everyone talks about it in this Damn sense of yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone talks about it in this sense of like I know what I'm talking about, but in all reality, I, no. I only kind of know what I'm talking about. And, right. You know, so there's there's definitely this like how passionate are you about something? How passionate are you about CrossFit? How passionate am I about athletics? training how passionate am I about Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're doing how and and really passion kind of comes down to how important is it to you yeah what does it mean to you and how important is it to you I we did an episode with uh, the owner driven nutrition Jason rule and I had the exact same conversation with him Mm -hmm. Um, all the time athletes walk into my weight room and they say coach I forgot my shoes I can't lift today and I say, where's your cell phone? And they pull it right out of their pocket. Right. Like, you didn't forget that, mm-hmm. but you forgot your shoes. Right. And Well, and as an athletic trainer. Passion you, score for the day. Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, during when I was heavily involved in, in rehabs and things of that nature, you know, I'd, we'd get all these excuses of, you know, I couldn't get here on time or whatever yep. the case mm-hmm. might be. Uh, they'd miss a session. Okay, well, if it was Friday night and you were looking to get to the bar, you'd find a way to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. important is it to you? You know, so. Uh, that that gets into the grit piece and resilience is a little bit more of that you know you go through a setback you go through a challenge and how do you respond to that and it's not always an immediate response sometimes it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a delayed response of you know I lost a game on Friday night but then what do I do the following week right you yeah, know I, and Tim Tebow love him or hate him whatever your opinion is he's actually a pretty good example of that game that they lost. I forget who it was, Mississippi State or Um, it was Ole Miss. Ole Miss, okay. It was the Ole Miss game. Yeah. I loved Tim Tebow. Huge fan. Okay, okay. I'm pretty neutral on him, but uh, anyway, (laughs) you know, you go back to that college career and and a team that was supposed to go undefeated that year, and they lose a game they're not supposed to lose, Mm -hmm. and his response was was a pretty good 
uh, example of resilience of yeah. I'm going to do whatever we have to do to win the remainder of our yep. games. So that that that's one way to give an example to the definition of resilience. Well, and those athletes are have the potential and can be such a catalyst for the rest of the team too. So that's right. that speech that Tim Tebow gave is called the speech. It is enshrined in bronze on a plaque put on the side of the Florida Gators on the on the side of the swamp, the Florida Gators Stadium. Okay. okay. Um but I mean so now he's a living legend in, in Florida for the re- I mean right. forever. Right. But that being said, the ability that he had to have his team rally around him mm-hmm. to where he's like, Hey I'm gonna put you on my back and we're gonna walk to the national championship after we lose this game, that's okay. But you can't do that alone. And mm-hmm. his ability to be the catalyst for the rest of his team to pick mm-hmm. them up and move them be forward was pretty insane. And another person, at least in the world of football, that automatically comes to mind to is Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, um, especially here in Michigan. Yeah, so yeah. D- don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, it, it's it's impressive to see him do it. And he has Tim Tebow did it one season. Right. Tom Brady's done it over and over and over again. Tom Brady's done it at halftime in the middle of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's pretty spectacular, These the ability that some of these athletes have to not only just lead and to show that, just to show those skills that you're talking about, but also to be the catalyst for the rest of the team to pick them up mm-hmm. and, and bring them with them. It's Absolutely. It shows resiliency as a direct, I don't know, rung on the ladder requirement to me for leadership, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all of, you know, those athletes were leaders on their team. They're leaders in the sport right now. And if you think in, in general, in any other sport situation or in regular life, the people that have proven themselves through resiliency, people want to be around them. Yeah, they're right. they're reliable. I feel like yeah. in, in that aspect, and and they've been through something, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's an attractive quality. All right, so we have grit. So I like that was an awesome definition of passion plus perseverance mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. not just one, not just the other, and then uh, resiliency, the be- ability to um, respond when there's a delay or setback, um, and respond in a positive way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Cool. All right, so um, you teach some some or work and and teach in some classes related to these topics. And I know at University of Missouri, they have a really great master's program called the Positive Coaching Master's Degree. It's an online program, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Um, So in a class, to have an entire entire class, I was like, man, they have a whole class on mental toughness, on grit. Um, In a class like that, and you're teaching coaches, you're working with coaches in yeah. that type of setting. Can yep. you talk to us about what do you, how do you educate coaches then on, on how to educate their athletes about grit or about resiliency? Because to me, is, is that a new thing that we have to teach young athletes that? Have we always needed to teach them that? We don't explicitly or we haven't explicitly done it or I guess kind of kind of explain the, the grounds for having a course in this and what can coaches what can coaches do? Well, I, I think there's absolutely a need when you when we go back to that idea, idea of, you know, sports are a physical thing. You have to be able to run. You have to be able to jump and throw and, and do whatever your sport requires you to do. So that, that idea of, you know, sports are all mental and you just have to want it bad enough. Well, you still got to be able to run and jump. Right. I, yeah. I can want to be the na- uh, <laughs> national track champion all I want, but yeah. you know, I'm not built to be a sprinter. I'm built yep. to be an endurance runner. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, you, you have to have the physical elements, but you also got to have the mental elements, too, because we all know of classic examples of athletes who were phenomenally gifted athletes, mm-hmm. but just didn't put it together. Break. Yeah. So, um, 
in within the course where we are teaching coaches and there's definitely a, a reason or a justification to teach coaches how to teach their athletes most of most of what coaching unfortunately ends up being is a lot of well this is what i did when i grew up yeah and this is what my coaches did with me yep and and the reality is we're learning more and more about the physiology of the body and and sports science and and what is the physical response to the training that we're going through and so uh just the same as that we need to understand okay what is the psychological or mental elements of these trainings training sessions practice mm -hmm. sessions uh, what happens to me after competitions all of these different things and so uh we're first and foremost we're teaching them you know the appropriate definitions and understandings of these different terms and how to use them and and ultimately we're getting into how are you going to de develop these concepts what are you you know you will give them a scenario a case study and we'll say okay well what are you going to do with this team that continues mm -hmm. to you know lose in the state quarterfinals what, what's the next year going to look like what are you going to incorporate into your training that's going to uh, focus on the mental element how are you going to overcome the roadblocks that you're dealing with or you take a you, you take a runner that struggles with hills or maybe they're a sprinter that struggles with their start or something like that what are you going to do within their training that's going to train the mental element of their sport and mm -hmm. and basically how are you going to teach them to respond yeah and, and teach yeah. them how to just like you teach them how to throw and you mm -hmm. teach them how to get into the blocks and and perform a start you got you got to teach them how to respond you got to yeah. teach them how to prepare you have to teach them how to get into the right mindset so that their body can go out and perform. Yeah. Because ultimately it's the mind that gets in the way of the mm. body. I have a really good case study for everybody out there. I have a eighth grade track and field athlete, good athlete at our school, really good sprinter. But when we put him against other sprinters, top sprinters from the other schools, he knows he's not going to win. Just like if he would just compete against the other sprinters from our team, he would win. And so when it comes to meets, middle school in Michigan, we have the 70 meter dash mm. and then we have the hundred okay. and he's okay. He's better at the 70 over the short distance. Um, not as strong, uh, cause he's a little bit of a shorter guy over a hundred. And so when it comes to meets, he shuts down because he's like, well, it's not even worth running if I'm not going to win it. And so that's a whole nother ball of wax when it comes to, you know, expecting to win and not being able to, to handle it when you don't. Um, but in a scenario like that, where an athlete defeats himself before they even, you know, step up or, you know, sport like tracks, pretty objective when you don't or right. your times, you know, kind of declare how you did. Um, so you talk about scenarios like that, like what would you do with that kid or like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. what, what would you do with that kid? <laughs> Tell <laughs> I, me. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to coach Next the coach team. here in session. Yes. Uh, you know, it's definitely looking at, okay, well, you know, in some ways you got to look at why does he perform the sport in the first place? Right. Why does he participate? Mm -hmm. And, and what does he get out of running track and what does he get out of winning those races versus not winning those races? And, and in a lot of ways, the question becomes, what does it mean to him? Mm -hmm. How does he interpret those results? How does he, uh, kind of judge them or evaluate them? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and ultimately how does that does uh, reflect himself? on himself mm -hmm. on, yeah, reflect on who he, th I mean, it, getting a little extreme, on the clinical side of things, you know, how does it, how does he, how does that reflect on him mm -hmm. and his sense of who he is? And, and, you know, that, that does get a little bit far into the clinical side of things. I, I like to stay a little bit more on the performance side of things, but the reality is we have to address some of these questions of, you know, who, who are you as an athlete? And, uh, 
and how does that affect the way you interpret the way you perform yeah for sure can you talk about some of the issues that you're seeing or that coaches that you work with too um and our athletes that you work with that you're seeing right now <laughs> i feel like there's a lot yeah. <laughs> but what are some <laughs> of the big the big ones related to grit resiliency or this this big idea of mental toughness uh, that I th- that I a kid or parent would come right. to you saying help us one of the first things that comes to mind is athletic identity in the sense that a lot oh of man here we go yeah again, again oh no <laughs> here we go <laughs> eric and i are just like our faces turn white my yeah. my my heart just hit my stomach oh boy okay <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, i'll be careful not to hit any nerves for you uh you know but if we grow up in a, a situation where the only concept that we have of ourselves is i'm a baseball player mm-hmm. and that's the only way i can define myself i'm i'm a wrestler i'm a swimmer i'm a whatever yeah uh then when that is taken away from us, either by injury or uh, flat out, it's time to retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you're just not good enough you to go to the next you level. You age out or, yeah. 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 You know, th- then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, wait a second. Where where'd my identity go? Mm-hmm. Who, yeah. Who am I anymore if I can't be this? And w- and we literally see that. We literally hear those quotes. In fact, Ronda Rousey said that when she lost to Holly Holm. Yeah. That yeah. girl, oh, yeah. that girl was ready to kill herself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whether serious. or not she would have actually done it, who mm-hmm. knows? But that's what was going through her head, mm-hmm. you know. And and again, that might be a little bit of an extreme example, but that's reality. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it's ab- it's absolutely reality. I come from a sport where it, my primary athletic background. I played, I ran track, baseball, wrestling, football. But my primary, I wrestled for fourteen years, mm-hmm. and to this day. I'm in the grocery store and a guy walks by and he's got gnarled cauliflower ears. Mm-hmm. He's got this kind of like the swagger to him. And it's like he wrestled and he wrestled for a long time. And there's in, in that sport and certain sports, like everybody loves to say, you know, they, I played football, I played baseball, but some people, and the first ones that come to mind are fighters, wrestlers, mm-hmm. the, like the, the hand to hand combat sports. There's a certain level amount of like personal pride that comes along with it. Oh yeah. And when that pride gets broken, when that pride gets hurt, when you lose, when you can no longer go on to to compete anymore, something changes. Yeah. And I, I I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversations, like in a grocery store or something like that, and someone notices my cauliflower ear, I notice theirs, and like you just start chit chatting stuff like that. And next thing you know, you're in this in depth conversation mm-hmm. about the mentality and the like the the mindset around the sport. Exactly. In it it's such a deep rabbit hole mm-hmm. that can go way, way further than what it needs to. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, let me throw out one more thing that back to your question. Uh, we see a lot of different types of anxiety and, and this sense of uh, needing to be perfect and unwilling to make mistakes and unwilling to fail. And, um, you know, some of that it just comes internally from the athlete and some of it honestly comes externally from coaches and parents and, mm-hmm. and outside pressures and this idea that we have to be perfect in everything we do yeah. and we have to know everything right away and, uh, you know, be excellent at all of these different uh, skills and techniques and even school. You know, this idea yeah. that you're supposed to know something right away and, and it's really taken away the element of learning. A- oh, yeah. Think about... Think about all the times where, you know, you took a test or you tried to perform a certain skill and you didn't succeed the first time through, but you learned something about how to do it better the next time. Yeah. And, and you never forget those lessons. You never forget those lessons. Mm-hmm. And that's, that can be more powerful than doing something right the first time. Right. So there is a lot of anxiousness, a lot of nervousness, 
a lot of really just unprepared how to handle these different situations. So uh, that's something that we definitely see a lot and, and address quite a bit. And, uh, you know, f for me, it's job security. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so you worked a lot with college athletics. You were at University of Michigan for like five or six years. Mm -hmm. um, you were at University of Utah. You're at Quinnipiac as well. So like several universities. And that's one of the settings I first think of this. I, I'm going to circle back to athletic identity with NCAA athletes. Because if they're in a sport where going professional isn't really an option or does it make sense career-wise or whatever, um, especially at the D1 level, like like University of Michigan, for example. I mm -hmm. mean, that's that's big time. And, mm -hmm. and so everything's very structured in mm -hmm. the athletic department in terms of their training, um, classes, when to eat, when to show up, when to train, when to go to the athletic training room, you know, literally everything. Um, I'm curious, what, what, did, what kind of work did you do with some of your athletes there in this idea of athletic identity, especially if it was through injury or eligibility running right, out you know right. well for me it, it while I was at Michigan I think remember I was employed as an athletic trainer right. so that absolutely first and foremost my responsibilities were the health and well-being of the athletes and most of that was physical mm -hmm. and we were very fortunate at an institution like Michigan that is big enough and has the resources that we had athletic counselors and right. sports psychologists who you know if we recognized something psychologically or mentally of concern we were able to refer our athletes to those individuals mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that I didn't uh, encounter those situations and deal with them you know some kids just don't want to talk to those people and that's right. you know that's yeah they have that's trust reality. you because you're helping them with their physical mm -hmm. issue and yeah so that, sense of, that sense of trust is already being established yeah so one of the th it, it wasn't totally uncommon for me to hear uh, you know the different stories of what's going on in their life whether it's you know family issues or issues with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or um, you know st struggling in a class or whatever you know you you're going through your treatments with these athletes and I one of the things I like to do is like hey let's just chat like I'm mm -hmm. not just gonna sit here and stare at you and you stare at me like let's chat a little bit you know <laughs> I, I think that kind of goes back to what you were talking about <laughs> in, in the beginning no, of true. back yeah. at lacrosse you know uh, and so uh, in in some ways, the athletic trainer in in certain instances, you know, you, you almost end up in this situation where you're kind of the pseudo counselor per mm -hmm. se. And of course, you got to be pretty careful about uh, making sure you maintain boundaries and, and right. professional mm -hmm. responsibilities. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always conscious of that. Um, but ultimately, you're you are running into that with athletes, and especially dealing with their injuries there's a huge mental element to injury and recovering from injury and rehab mm -hmm. and you know you've lost your opportunity to play you've lost your mm -hmm. y you feel like okay well I'm not starting anymore I'm not even playing anymore uh, I, simple tasks like getting dressed and showered if I had shoulder surgery that you know mm -hmm. I, for the first couple of weeks that's pretty tough mm -hmm. uh, you know if, if you break an ankle or tear up a knee or whatever and all of a sudden you're on crutches and well shoot how am I going to get to class yeah. yeah I live off campus or whatever the case may be yeah. all of a sudden much less play the sport like yeah. their whole life got, gets turned upside down right right so there there's definitely a huge element of the frustration anger disappointment all of the, those emotions come to play pretty quickly and pretty intensely mm-hmm 
um, kind of talking about this identity and we're going to connect back to injury again in a little bit, but athletes who are injured and when their identity is, you know, a high level performer, maybe they're a starter Mm -hmm. and then now they're not, or they're coming back from that injury and, you know, they're not currently starting or, um, even from a fitness level, depending on the extent and the amount of Mm -hmm. time that Mm -hmm. they were out from a, a conditioning or strength aspect too, um, I guess kind of, can you share, I guess, what's kind of the, what's the common challenge that we see with athletes that are, that lost that maybe the higher level athlete identity, they're on their way back in. Um, but what's, what are some of the big challenges when they're trying to get back to the level they were at before? You know, honestly, I, I'm, I'm going to flip it on you a little bit and, and say that in some ways there's actually a little bit of a benefit really in mm-hmm. the sense of, I was mm-hmm. forced to look at my life outside of sport. Yep. Yeah. And so they get a glimpse. Yeah. And, and that's actually one of the things that we talk about in uh, one of the classes I'm involved in. But, um, you know, looking at, okay, well, where does academics play into my life? Mm-hmm. I, if I, if I uh, spent my entire life looking at nothing but hockey, mm-hmm. uh, and now all of a sudden I realize, oh, shoot, I may not, I'm, I, I might actually have to do something besides hockey mm-hmm. in my life or, yeah. or yeah. you know, whatever. Um it, it can help people actually realize that, hey, ma- you know, maybe I should pay a little bit more attention to my academics or mm-hmm. or uh, people can actually pick up a little bit on, you know, the importance of family in their life or, mm-hmm. or some of these different things. So in some ways it, it can actually be beneficial. Now, that's certainly not the majority of the cases. So there's definitely the, the challenge to their identity. And, and the question is, well, what do we do about that? And from the sports psych standpoint, there's a lot to, okay, well, well, let's start exploring some of the other elements of your life that can fit into your sense of who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and whether that's academics, family, spiritual matters, uh, you know, you always hear people talk about uh, kind of finding their love for coaching in, mm-hmm. in kind of these back door avenues. Athletic training is kind of the same way. I know several people who they got into athletic training uh, based on the fact that they were consistently injured throughout their career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so th- there is a, a lot of it is, well, we're not just trying to restore that athletic identity because that, that will kind of always be there. You know, you, yeah, you don't lose it. You, you no. competed in college. Mm-hmm. You, it's not like, Oh, I'm no longer an athlete. Yeah. I know no, it stays. So might like dormant for a few years. Yeah. Then it comes back with a vengeance. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and, one thing that you said right away that really resonated with me is finding your love for coaching. So I had surgery on my left labrum to my left shoulder about 22 weeks and three days, but who's counting? And, uh, <laughs> you uh, are. I you're you're every counting. Day, every second. And the one thing I realized right away is that I got really scared. I was like, man, I'm, I take three days off. It was the first three days I'd taken off in a couple of months, mm-hmm. first of all. Second of all, when I got back to coach, I was coaching in an immobilized sling mm-hmm. and I can't do tactile cues. Right. I can't put somebody in position. I can't demonstrate. And now what do I do? Right. So the amount of verbal cues that I had to give, how I had to develop myself as a coach very quickly and on the fly mm-hmm. was huge. And the biggest thing that I realized too is coming back from injury, rehabbing myself, getting back into training, adding in more value, trying to be get back to the same competitive level I was at before was... I got into this because I wanted to see what my body was capable of. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about podiums. I didn't care about how I looked. I didn't care about anything like that. I wanted to see what I could accomplish with my own body. How far can I push my physical limit, my performance? 
and I enjoyed and respected that journey. But somewhere in athletics, somewhere along the line, for a lot of people, that original mission statement changes. Mm-hmm. And it morphs into something else, and you lose sight of it at some point in time. Right. And I realized very, very quickly, I was like, it's fun again. Yeah. And I can't tell you, in my last couple years of wrestling, how many times I'm sitting there and I'm cutting, like, no lie, 10 to 13 pounds to weigh in. Right. And I'm like, this isn't fun. Right. Like, I haven't enjoyed this sport in so long. And so I, a lot of the kids that I work with will come in, and they'll sit down, and they'll sit down at my desk. And I'm a strength coach, so I, I tell them, I don't care how many points you scare, how many points you score. I don't care how many fouls you have. I don't care whether you're the first off the bench or you never come off the bench. Mm-hmm. What I care about is your performance academically, emotionally, mentally, and physically, and in that order. Okay. And all the athletes come in, they sit down in the chair across from my desk, and they get three words and they start to cry. And it's like, take a breath. Whatever it is, it's not that bad. Right. How how can we fix it? How can we make this space, how can we make athletics positive to where whatever else is going on, your athletic break, your athletic performance is a break away from that. Because depending on what population you're working with, that may be the only escape that they have. Right. And then with some of the athletes you're working with at a high level, that is their primary level of stress. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like a lot of people in recreation train to relieve stress. They train to right. feel better about themselves. Right. Some of these athletes that we're working with, some of these athletes that we're training with, this is their primary cause of stress. This right. is their primary cause of of emotional turmoil. Yeah. It's really a double-edged sword. I, I was one of those athletes, and even at the highest of levels, you know, to go out and go for a long run or a lo- long ride or get in a solid swim or whatever you're training for, uh, that can be a huge escape for people. Uh, but like you said, a lot of times there is that primary source of stress because it's not just, hey, I'm out on a back road on my bike and, and doing my thing. It's I got a coach chirping in my ear yep. and I got fans talking on the radio right. and yep. and Joe Blow writing whatever in the media. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, you know, so it, it really creates kind of a double-edged sword. And, um, you know, the, the easy but not very realistic answer to your question of, you know, how do we fix this, fix this is, you know, kind of as a society, we need to reevaluate how important, how much value and importance we put in sports. Now that's a, (laughs) that's a dirty road that I'm not going to go down, but that's, uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get any, and and I make my living off of sport. Oh yeah. As do do you, as Mm -hmm. does Julie. Yeah. But none of us here are going to refute that. Oh, no. And, and we're never going to leave it. It's com- no. No. And it's completely twisted. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, th- so then the question becomes, well, okay, give me a realistic answer. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I don't have a good one for you. Yeah. I, I wish mm-hmm. I did. Uh, but I think we, I think there's got to be a lot of very honest reflection among adults. Because this yeah. attitude and culture starts in youth sport. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the the mentalities that are built into the youth athletes come from the adults whether whether it's mommy yep. that wants to go mm-hmm. down the street in her coffee club or book club or whatever she does during yeah. the day and say my little johnny won the 12 and under yeah. state tournament which by the way there's 10 of them but you yeah. know yeah. or but he's, <laughs> but he's still won yeah you yeah. know or, or daddy my boy can do 10 push-ups you know and yeah. like honestly or or the coaches that i've sent 30 kids to the uh, ncaa division one like 
we as adults have to stop using our youth as our source of yeah of pride and and you know reliving the dreams that we never lived and i i know that's a bit of an oversimplification but that's reality no we I as adults yeah. have to take a good hard look at what we're doing and and how are we coaching and how are we training the athletes that we work with and i think your example of putting the priorities in a certain order yes is a good one mm -hmm. so i give you credit for taking that approach well and so the one thing that that i noticed right away is and the one thing that i continue to say that i notice more and more and more the longer that i spend in this in this community especially the cross community which i absolutely love and adore but the one thing that you can't teach the one thing that is inherent is the ability to care mm -hmm. i can teach you how to teach someone how to squat i can teach you to get a forward lean for sprinting. I can teach you to do whatever whatever you need to do as a coach to help your athlete. The one thing I can't do is I can't teach you how to care. No. That has to come within. That's that's inherent. And right. that's it's a really it's a it's a really big shame when I, I come across coaches that it's just like they just shrug their shoulders. Right. And it's like you have and, and at my level it's different because you get and it's the same thing at the collegiate level, you get emotionally invested. And with a personal oh, yeah. client it can be a little bit different because it's at mm -hmm. some point in time it does a business exchange. But mm -hmm. um I had one of the I had an opportunity to to be a strength coach for a wrestling coach that I started underneath 20 years ago, 21 years ago. The exact same mentality has never changed. Yeah, and the mentality of sport has changed. The athletes that you're working with has changed. The parents have changed because now it is like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put them in a sport to specialize. I'm gonna push them mm -hmm. really really hard mm -hmm. in one direction because. I want you to get a D1 scholarship. Right. And, and, you know, ultimately, as you're talking, the thing that comes to mind that really in so many ways has changed sport is money. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and not just, you know, we're spending a lot of time talking about youth, but it's it's more or less the trickle-down effect. Look how big the contracts are these days. Mm -hmm. Steph, Steph, Steph Curry just signed for $201 million, five years, first yeah. $200 million man in the NBA. Yeah, a massive contract. and. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, the the glamour of a Division One scholarship mm -hmm. and this idea that if I can just get, if I can get from high school to college and and somehow from there to the pros, then I'm I'm set yeah. for life. And uh, you know but you're not. Yeah, you're, you're not. And, and the reality is, no one wants to believe the numbers. You know, no. one one percent of high school athletes go on to play any level of college yep. athletes, any level of college athletes. Mm -hmm. Let alone Division One on yeah. scholarship. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks every Division One athlete out there is on scholarship. Right. That's not, not true either. No, mm -mm. a good, good portion of them are not. I can't tell you how many collegiate wrestlers I've met that wake up, go to weights, go to class, go to practice, cut weight, then go work a job four hours at night because mm -hmm. they and then can't pay a tuition bill. Yep. Yeah, because they can't pay rent because they can't pay tuition, but they're they make it happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. And the one thing that I notice a lot, and I'm sure that you can relate to this because I, I know we've all seen it, is I see a lot of athletes that want it so bad. They're dedicated. They never miss a session. They're there every single time early, and they spend extra time afterwards recovering and stuff like that. Then there'll be the kid that walks in, and he's there once, maybe twice a week, and just has it. You, you can't touch him. Yeah. And if you could just take that that mm -hmm. mental and emotional capacity that that athlete has, it's never going to have the physical skills of what it requires to get to the next level and put it in that athlete. Mm -hmm. That's your Steph Curry's, your Bryce Harper's, your LeBron James, your, your Tom Brady's. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
that's frustrating in itself as a coach. Right. That's frustrating well, in there's itself. Th- there's a reason those guys are the superstars of their leagues because they, they can have, you know, both elements. Steph Curry didn't have an easy path. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah, he played Division One basketball, mm-hmm. but it was a small school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that, of course, we all know that doesn't mean that you're not going to make it to the next level. But, uh, you know, compare him to LeBron. LeBron went straight from high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, LeBron is a much bigger, much stronger you know, more or less, arguably more gifted. Yeah. You know, physical specimen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and th- you know, but but you still got th- that. Just fuller, fuller, further reiterates the importance of the mental side of the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can have all the physical abilities yeah. you want, and s- and some of the guys just take it and run with it and have huge success. Yeah. But other guys, uh, completely waste it, and we've all we've all seen that. Right. Or we see the ones that maybe don't want to waste it, but they don't have the natural mental capacity to deal with what they're faced with. And so that's where, like, you would come mm-hmm. in, you know, a sports psychology coach um, or, y- or even just, like, coaches, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. have a positive influence on their athletes. So, like, what Eric said, making sure they recognize, you know, that life is a little bit bigger. Um I, I think right away, I mean, when you mentioned adults, you, know, you guys know I have a passion for kids and for youth sport too. And when you said adults, like there's really no easy fix, especially when, when money is that, that, mm-hmm. that big carrot at the end. And, and even with kids, you know, the adults might, you know, from the ego standpoint of their own ego or see like, oh, they'll, there's more prestige if they play on this club team or, right. you know, if they play on oh, this club man. team, then they're going to get a scholarship and then they could go professional. Well, like, you know, like your kid plays soccer, you know how much money, like your female daughter is going to make playing professional soccer. Not that much. Right. So like really, you know, does she like it still, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's our, I think when you just said adults, I was like, as adults, whether it's adult coaches or adult parents or athletic directors, people who have influence. I think that I that idea of making sure there's still some joy in the game oh, yeah. for those young athletes. Um, an example I had that just this is co- so common, and I don't know why it stood out to me this season was I have a, a, a middle school kid, 13, runs track. He's okay, pretty good for middle school, um, and it, you know had some. He plays on three soccer teams in the same season as track and field. So that's what this tracks with the school club soccer is with his other three club teams. So tons of practices, kids like, you know, we have to really be careful. He's a distance runner too. So we really have to be careful as a track coach for middle school, who's 13 year old still developing, like just barely starting to hit puberty. Um, You know, like how much volume we put the kid through because we don't know exactly what's going on. And we know from the parent, from the kid, the soccer coaches are saying like, Hey, the kid can't run a track because they have this tournament. And I think one thing that just stood out to me so much was a parent at our our district, our championship meet said, Hey, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have this kid, you know, run in the four by four meter relay because we're spending $2,800 on this club soccer team this season and the kid's standing right there and so the dad is just like we're spending this much money on soccer and we're not going to waste it on this race and the kid likes running track he likes running a relay because with a relay you get to run with your friends and you get to hand that baton around and I was like I was like, oh man, like, you know, this is, it's, it's one thing for the parents to choose to spend that money on sport if the kid really likes it, but then the financial pressure, the money aspect, not just from getting money as an athlete, but you know what, like, Hey, we're sacrificing all this as a family for you to play on three club teams and track. So don't do what you like because, and so like the kid's face sank, he knew he would have to, you know, he likes soccer still, he enjoys it, but 
you know, it's just like the amount of pressure that this kid is on in a championship meet, which there's some pressure anyways. Like there's a lot of, you know, there's, he didn't win the races he ran in versus in the smaller meets he wins. So that's something that just struck me really hard was people that are, those of us, most of us, I'm sure are adults who are listening, um, really think about how you set up the sport culture for your kids because because like you said like us as society what we value what we put the value of sport that's not going to change we value it a lot each of us do there's so much money involved um our jobs are involved in it but there are some cultural changes that can happen at least at those early stages but that's what's problematic to me and and this is a whole nother topic is is what's going on with youth sport at you know various levels but i i don't see this getting any better in the short term no, future tim no i think you're right i think it's gonna get worse i think it's very unfortunate but and like I think the anxiety exactly right. the nervousness the mm-hmm. you know like how athletes are unable to find joy in it at a much younger stage professionally yeah it's their job and so like then they have to deal with the things because they make that choice but yeah so i think i think that's gonna be yeah but okay so let me bad. give you an example here i'll go back to when i was with one of the professional teams i worked with uh, I remember specifically doing some treatment on an athlete, and he, he was just down in the dumps, hanging his head, terrible body language. Mm-hmm. This guy's getting paid millions of dollars mm-hmm. to play a game, mm-hmm. yeah, to play a sport, yep. to have fun, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy's miserable, and he literally says to me, he, he's not even having a conversation with me. He's just kind of mumbling toward me. Yeah. Uh, he says, man, I don't even know why I play anymore. I don't even like this. Yeah, it's not any fun. And yeah. this was a good athlete, yeah. uh, a well-respected player on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had a solid career. I, d- I don't remember how much longer he played. Which but which sport? He was a football player. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if it's football or if it's hockey, if it's basketball, gymnastics, whatever. You see that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, and this has been proven in the research, if you ask kids why they start playing sports, if you ask a five-year-old why do you play t-ball. If you ask a six-year-old, why do you play soccer? An eight-year-old, why do you swim? They are not going to tell you because they want to win and they want that whatever trophy and they want a college scholarship. All of that comes from mom and dad and coach. Yep. Yeah. Youth, youth, and I'm getting a little animated and, and, uh, you know, we're kind of on a tangent here, but... Tangents are good. It's the purpose of the podcast. (laughs) Tangent away. (laughs) Keeps listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Youth do not play sport for the reasons that parents enroll their kids in sport and coaches coach their kids in sport. Well, and and to take that one step further, for you as an athletic trainer, I am constantly worried. I work with high school athletes all the time, and I spend hours upon hours a week teaching kids how to jump and land. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the environment and context of sport – well, there's no more crossover. There's no more multi-sport athletes. It is a dying breed. Even even right now, in the context that I have, in the couple hundred high school athletes I have, I bet you 2% are multi-sport athletes. That low. Really? It's shocking. In the high school, wow. that, the high school that I worked at was probably 2%. The high school that I'm at now is probably around 3 maybe 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 5%. Um, but it's shockingly low. Yeah. It's shockingly low. And the reason why is because these kids – Basketball. The only sport that doesn't have a club that I work with is football. Right. The rest of these kids are playing two to three seasons a year, mm-hmm. and they're playing the exact same sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for you as an athletic trainer, the thing that I worry about is not only do these kids only see one side of play style, they only see one side of movement, they're also seeing one side of 
grit of resiliency of they're only getting one type mm-hmm. but it's that one type especially as the levels of play change whether it's middle school to high school high school to college college to pro mm-hmm. those levels and those types are going to change too because you're going to start to deal with different things right well i think you bring up a very good point because just like we talk about crossover of skills and movements uh, between sports there's also a crossover of the mental skill set. That that's yes. one thing that a lot mm-hmm. of people yep. don't understand about sports psychology or in the mental side of sport and competition is that a lot of this is really about building a skill set. Yeah. How do I build the skills to handle pressure? How do I develop the techniques to develop or to um, prepare myself for a competition? Mm-hmm. How do yeah. I learn how to change the way I look at a situation so that I can find something to work on, something to learn, something to have some sort of positivity about instead of a down in the dumps and and depressed and all of those sorts of things. It's a mental skill set. And and a perfect way to get that transition is, or uh, carryover and transfer of of mental skills is, uh, you know, I might be an all-star on the football team, Mm -hmm. but I might be a sub on the basketball team. Right. Right. And I'm forced to deal with different mm-hmm. and and kids elements. And, and if that happens, I see so many. I see so many parents pull their kids off teams. I see so many parents. At, I they say that. Well, my kid one state in cross country, so they should be a starter in track and field. No, it's a, it's different. Right. Four, the race is shorter. Four or five, four or five different times, I watched parents pull kids off basketball teams this winter. That's and. <laughs> and it's because it they weren't as good as they were in football because they, they weren't getting playing time because like they weren't football. getting the playing time that the parent thought that they needed to get and did the parent realize there's less people on the court and the game of basketball than at on the field in football did the parent realize <laughs> that did the parent realize that the, that the athlete wasn't going to practice did the parent realize mm-hmm. that you pulled your athlete out of the team practice that you just pulled them off of to go to their club yeah. practice and that's the reason that why they're sitting on the bench yeah, because that was a realistic situation. That happens yeah. all and, the time, and it's like you can't you can't have it both ways. But what lesson are you teaching your athlete as a parent, as a coach? What at what lesson are you teaching your athlete right now? They're just teaching them to run around and yeah. get, until you find what you want to find and hear what you want to hear and yeah. see what you want to see. And I mean that that's that's you're just setting up your yeah. kid for problems down the road. And, and, you know, we talk about millennials and we kind of give them a bad rap for, uh, you know, these different characteristics that they have. And the reality is they learned those characteristics somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you it's know, they weren't born that way. Correct. Sorry, Lady Gaga, but you weren't born that way. <laughs> 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 All right. So speaking of um, learning those different tools, learning those different skills, what – you do some cool things with athletes returning from injury Mm -hmm. and you do some cool things with working with them about returning back to that level of performance, that level of play. Yeah. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Well, on the most basic level, one of the things that I really like to emphasize as athletes are getting back into their sport is building a series of progressions back into that sport. It's, It's far too often that, you know, a kid will go through, you know, the different rehabs or whatever, and then all of a sudden their doctor says, okay, you can go back to playing. Mm-hmm. And they haven't done anything to acclimate themselves back into their sport. Right. You can't go from zero to 60 without hitting 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and certainly certain progressions can be much faster and certain progressions require more time. 
but that's that's one of the very first things that I do with athletes and there's the physical side of that but then there's also the mental side of that where through the ability to perform skills that are uh, less demanding less intense or or basic elements of more complex skills the athletes able to regain a sense of confidence and a sense of trust in their body and this they're able to say you know what yeah i can do this again because they just sent, spent six months sitting on the sidelines not running right not mm -hmm. jumping not doing the things that they have to do to perform in that sport so progressions is a huge place to start uh, focusing a little bit more into specific mental skills i'm big on uh, relaxation and, okay. and the, the ability excuse me uh, the ability to control your level of energy yeah you, you know nervous energy can be facilitative to a certain extent mm -hmm. and then you hit a point where it suddenly drops off yeah and that nervous energy is just flat out nervousness and your performance goes mm -hmm. yeah to waste uh, so how do we help you manage nerves relaxation is one way to do that and there's yeah. several different techniques and, and strategies that I like to teach people uh, things like mental imagery a lot of people talk about mental imagery and, and have heard of it kind of know what it is kind of do it but what I like to do is refine those uh, approaches and, and help them uh, make their image more crystal clear uh, more realistic and more lifelike so that when the time comes to transfer that sense of okay this is what I see in my mind's eye to this is what I'm actually doing yeah uh, it that transition and that transfer is is more likely to occur so those are a few things I like to do with with athletes and, and it almost sounds like what you're talking about is as you're prepping an athlete to return back to sport you're almost prepping them the same way that they would go the the three four five hours leading up to a big game in some ways yeah with the mental imagery the prep time the control of energy to make sure that you know you're not peaking way too early in your emotional state mm -hmm. um which is really really interesting because i think that that would be if you broke it down that way for for athletes especially at a high level that have done it for so long it's gonna be easier for them to kind of think of it like oh well you know if i look at those five hours before a game as five weeks or five months coming back after surgery it it puts them in it puts it in terms or uh or uh an outline that they can understand yeah, yeah because they've gone through that process so many times right Right. Yeah. There's definitely a, a kind of going back to that transfer of skills concept. As long as they can relate it to something yeah. and make sense of it in some way, then then it's much easier for them to take that and run with it and find uh, benefit from it. You know, and, and certainly we talk about these things in specific context of returning to sport and competition. But there's also. I actually like to do a lot of work, especially in some of those relaxation skills right after the injury occurs mm -hmm. or right around the time of when they're going to go get a surgery or yeah. something like that because mm -hmm. those are very emotional, yeah. in some cases, tumultuous times yeah. for that individual. There's go a lot of fear that. yeah. that's beyond just Massive. playing yeah, and a lot of doubt about the future mm -hmm. at that point. Absolutely. And you go back to that losing that athletic identity mm -hmm. and, and how you know, difficult that can be for a person. Well, let's teach you how to manage some of those emotions. Right. Yeah. I think too, there's a lot of transfer from learning those techniques and having that in your skill set as an athlete. And then later on in life, if you're not necessarily an athlete or in that, in that aspect. So I, I teach yoga. I've been a um, yoga teacher for I don't know, 12, 
13 years. And that's something in the adult, maybe non-athlete population, individuals who just start doing yoga, which involves some of those elements of relaxation, mm-hmm. being able to, you know, express um, some coping characteristics right. through from an energetic standpoint. Um, people that have not had any experience in that as adults dealing just with their regular life struggles, fears, doubts, um, it can be extremely empowering to learn that for the first time. And then so think of if you learn that as an athlete, you know, and then if your coach can make a connection with how we're learning these mental skills as an athlete, so like, all right, you're going to have a stressful situation in your regular life where you're going to have to make a decision or it's not going to be good. There's going to be a lot of fear involved and using this relaxation technique or almost like this imagery of planning and seeing yourself performing in this game setting, same thing when it's a speech or when you're in a job interview or whatever it might be. Yeah. There's a ton of carryover mm-hmm. uh, because these these are skills that, just like you said, you know, if I run into adversity, that you know, loss, losing a big game in sport, that's adversity. Yeah. Sustaining an injury, that's adversity. Not getting a job that you were overqualified for, that's mm-hmm. adversity. Yeah. How do you? What skill set do you have to handle that adversity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the world of sports psychology for me, and I, and I have had several athletes at the high school level and and some in college as well who have actually told me how they have taken some of the skills that I'm teaching them and applied it to their academics. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a perfect example right there. Why can't you apply it to your job? There's actually a lot of people in the sort sports like field who work with business corporations and and business professionals. So, so carry over. So you are a, you're a, you're a high school strength coach. You are a you're a CrossFit coach, and you have a competitive CrossFit athlete. What are one or two tools that you could use with your athlete to kind of help coach that resiliency? Because you say resiliency, and I one of the things that I've always kind of thrown around. One thing that makes CrossFit athletes really really good is complacency. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you're gonna do five rounds of ten muscle ups and fifteen handstand push ups. Okay, all right, now you're gonna run one mile you're going to do 30 squat cleans at 275 pounds and run another mile. Okay. All right. Now you're going to do an ocean swim. Okay. This ability to say, okay, and be unfazed and be okay with it and not freak out and be like, Oh God, I'm going to tank this event or mm-hmm. whatever. That's a big piece in the CrossFit world. Cause everybody's got that demon in the closet that they're hiding from. And it's like, if this comes out, I'm going to tank. Right. So how do you, besides just working on a more broad package or for like a high school athlete that's going to traditional sport, what are a couple of things that those athletes can work on or that coach can help their athlete work on? I, you know, to me, I think we get, that actually speaks well to grit or even resilience, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. But uh, thinking of that other element of grit being perseverance. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the sets that you just presented it to continue to just say okay yeah and let's go do it that to me is a, a good example of persevering through probably some pretty significant discomfort yeah and and one of the th- ways that i like to look at that is is the idea of um you know i'm recognizing that you have a little bit more control over your situation than most people give themselves credit for yeah and and that idea of hitting the point where you more or less make a decision, whether it's conscious or subconscious, mm-hmm. to either push further into that discomfort yeah. mm-hmm. or let yourself back off. Yeah. A- as a runner, you're on the sidelines mm-hmm. uh, of the track and you're watching somebody go. You know when that monkey jumped yeah. on their back. You know when you they hit the it. wall. 
Yep. In, you can in see wrestling it in a or, workout, or yeah. swimming yeah. or whatever sport. You know when somebody hits that wall. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you're at that moment in time, the question is, are you going to make a conscious decision to push further into that discomfort and accept the fact that it's going to yep. be even more uncomfortable than you already are? Yeah. So, that, you know, that's, that's a, a simple mindset that I, I actually had a coach tell me just a few weeks ago. Like, I can, I've, I've implemented that with my swimmers, and yep. I can already see a difference. Yep. T- not only just in terms of the way they look as they are training, but in terms of objective times yeah. and objective results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other side of revealing strength, and kind of my, my brainchild is called dark space or dark space performance, and it's that exact same concept, is are you going to make the decision to go to that dark space to where real results can happen, mm-hmm. to where, like, if, if you're willing to go to this over and over again, and it's not just in sport, because it can be in training, it can be in life, it can be in work, because you're going to find yourself in uncom- uncomfortable situations or situations that are going to be bad, just bad, right, right. that you're going to have to deal with and kind of come out of on the other side. And one thing that I always kind of coach is like, hey, you've you've got to make the choice. Like this like this is the time, like I take them to a point in conditioning, and I'll, sometimes I'll actually give them a choice. I'm like, those of you that want to take a step back off the line, that's your choice to do so. Those of you that don't, you've got 30 seconds. Right. And it's it's interesting because all it takes is two. All it takes is three people to step back up to the line, and then mm-hmm. it's four, and then it's five, and then it's six, and then it's seven. And maybe they take one off, but they always come back. Mm-hmm. And getting that that choice, that idea of like, hey, this hurts, but it's not going to hurt forever. Right. And, and that they're in control of it. And that they're in control mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So, ma- so many people want to just kind of let life happen and play mm-hmm. out in this kind yeah. of fantasy way. and. In all reality, we have much more control over our lives than we often give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Well, it's recognizing like, hey, this hurts, this sucks, this is terrible, like my knees hurt or my lungs are going to burst. It's like all of that is a conscious decision that you're saying in your head. Turn that around. Like it's it's pretty easy to just recognize like, hey, you don't have to focus on that. You don't have to tell yourself that. You don't have to say like, man, this is going to be 20 minutes of a really painful workout. Like turn turn that mantra turn that what you're hearing in your head do you ever do anything with mantra self-talk anything like that well yeah what you're describing of turning something around is something we call reframing the situation okay which is more or less is let's change your perspective Mm -hmm. okay you know is something is one of those you know difficult conditioning sessions uh, something that's going to break you or is it an opportunity to find out what you're capable of right Mm -hmm. two very different perspectives um, that have very different impacts on basically the results of that workout, how long you perse- persevere throughout the workout, and ultimately what is the physiological benefit of the workout. Right. Right. In yoga, I say a lot, I say find comfort in the discomfort. Yes. Um, and again, it's a, it's a simple example, but it crosses over. Of, of and I had a yoga teacher, pardon my French, but he, he's, I always will remember this. He said sometimes you have to sit in the shit and you have to be okay being in that uncomfortable position or being in discomfort. And, and obviously as athletes and coaches, we need to recognize the difference between pain mm-hmm. 
and you know the pain we talk about that's discomfort and the pain that's injury but so i I don't mean that but um being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation and also being self-reflective in that moment because a lot of times those uncomfortable situations or in conditioning it's not super short like we're going to be in there for three minutes for four minutes and so when you go into that dark space it it seems like it's a half an hour when it's only three minutes right but you have some time to be reflective you might see your life flash before your eyes you might see some stars that's where you might have that time to do some self-talk and I like that idea of reframing the situation so finding comfort in the discomfort and so yesterday in one of the endurance workouts I coached um, they had to do 1500 meter repeats running and um, and one of my goals for the workout was I don't want you to worry about your time I don't want you to worry about your pace I want you to notice where you find a point where you start to negative self-talk or where you start to like say oh I don't feel good I feel rough and just self-assess observe right. what you're doing and yeah. like in yoga we use that we use self-observation a lot mm-hmm. um, just to see how the body is responding and then when you come back as an athlete that's the time to reflect as your coach like hey this happened at this mark or I noticed when you know I had a huge open straight away that's where like my pace I could tell my pace slowed down and my breathing increased and so that's something I really like to use is being in that position but not just being there um, and shutting off being there, but also observing what's right, happening right. with yourself when you're in that position. Yeah. Awareness is a great way to get yourself started in this whole idea of mental training. Mm-hmm. Start with becoming aware of where, y- where you experience what. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. All right. So um, as we start to wrap up a little bit, so you have a business. Um, I know you're based out of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Currently, you're in Columbia, um, where University of Missouri is, but um, you have a practice. Um, White House Athletics is your business. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what you do, athletes you serve, who can contact you, how to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I do this mental coaching with athletes. I work with athletes as young as you know, middle school and all the way up into the professional ranks. Uh, um, most of my clients are kind of in the middle of high school, college, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, my focus within that business is helping athletes become better performers and doing that by becoming better at the mental side of the game. Mm-hmm. By my two primary clients are anybody who wants to develop that mental skill set so that they can perform physically and then athletes who have sustained injury and need help dealing with the mental side of injury and they return to their sport. Right. Getting back to competition with confidence and trust Mm -hmm. in their body so those are those are probably my two primary clients um i like you mentioned i have a website whitehouseathletics.com and i can be reached at tim.white at whitehouseathletics that's my email it goes straight to my inbox so that's an easy way to get in touch with me and uh, you know happy to work with anybody that's interested in and building up that mental skill set. Do you work remotely with athletes at all? So like I know you're in Missouri uh, right now, but say, you know, there's someone here in Michigan or in California or someone who likes, you know, likes your approach. Um, do you do that as well? Yeah, I actually uh, have a decent amount of clients that are remote, a, a couple here in, in Michigan still mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we get online and we do something like Skype or mm-hmm. uh, I use a platform called Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. there's, a, there's a number of different uh technologies out there that make it really easy for me to see you and and you to see me and we hear each other and we talk back and forth just like we're sitting face to face in the room so it doesn't matter if you're in uh, Missouri or New York or New Zealand you know I I can uh, we make we make it 
be the best situation possible. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. This was awesome. Um, Again, you guys can, if you like the episode, if you like what we do, go ahead, click subscribe on iTunes. Give us that little red button and that thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. You can go ahead and find us at revealingstrength.com. You can find me at Eric Santor on Instagram and Twitter. You can find Julie at... At Julie J today on Instagram. And thank you so much for listening. And until then... Remember to stay strong. If you need us, you know where to find us. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Tim. Thank you.